This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello and welcome to another podcast from your friends at Books of the Year. How, how have the last couple of weeks been for you, Matt? I don't know what you've been up to, but wow. <laughs> yes, it has been. It's been uh, it's been somewhat uh, busy, hasn't yes. it? Because you're yes, back doing sport, me. doing the sport on uh, on Greatest Hits Radio on your uh, fabulous drive on our on our. Uh, Come on, let, which, let's on, on, on our. Oh yes, that's quite right. We are on our. A communist collective, and uh, yeah, it's going very well. It's go- it is genuinely going really well. Um, yes, I, I don't know why I sound surprised because obviously we're both phenomenal. Um, so it should, there should be no reason why it shouldn't be fabulous, but it has been going. Yes, rather well. and you're telling and you're updating us on sport and everything, and uh, and then we're doing yeah. confessions and or request and. I mean, it's almost like... And drive-time yeah. dramas, that's a, that's a lot of fun. Lot so, of fun someone said it's like we've been on furlough. We've just been on drive-time furlough for three years, and the, the furlough yes. is finished, and we're back. So we're, yeah. <laughs> and we're back, doing what however, we do. However, yeah, we're, not gonna, we're not doing books So um, on that show, but we, uh, I suppose we might do. Uh, occasionally, we could do a book, can we? We could occasionally, but um, obviously, you know, Greatest Hits being what it is, Greatest Hits plays Greatest Hits. And uh, we've got a bit more time here to be able to talk yes. about books. So uh, yeah. so shall we do that? Let's do that. I vote we okay. do that. Yeah. So uh, this week, we're going to be speaking to uh, debut author Sarah Pierce about her new thriller, which is called The Sanatorium, just as they start drilling yes. opposite. That's great. <laughs> Guys, you should have started drilling about Brilliant. a year ago. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks anyway, Sarah's lovely. about to join us. Hello. Ah, there she is. <laughs> there she is. I was going to say that sounds like Sarah Pierce, but we've never spoken before. So I got no- <laughs> you could be anybody. I could have be anyone at the end of the line. <laughs> A few months ago, uh, Richard Osman came on the program yeah. uh, to talk about the Thursday Murder Club, which has, you know, been a little bit disappointing, I think, as a seller from. Yeah. I mean, it's the, so, so. The sale, the I really there. like that book. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, when is Richard going to catch yes. a break? That's what I I'm know. saying. I mean, it's such a good book. I mean, when is someone going to buy I that know. book? That's he right. needs he, a leg up, really, doesn't he? He does. He, he, he needs yeah. some help. Oh. Him and that Charlie Mackesy book. I mean, they've... <laughs> A little bit underwhelming in terms of sales, guys. Okay, I know, it must yeah. have been disappointing for their teams, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, but now Richard turns up as a sticker on your book. So Matt is now going to describe the cover of the Sanatorium. Yes. Yes, yeah, so the, the, actually, it's a great cover. This leaps out off the off the bookshelves, oh, and it is uh, so. the 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 picture is one now. Um, sorry, you're going to tell me whether this is actually a real hotel that that features on the cover because it looks like a real photo, but it's uh, it's a, obviously it's a Swiss kind yeah. of uh, hotel. It reminds me a bit of I watched uh, Grand Budapest Hotel the other day yeah. and again because it's a great movie and it looks a bit like that hotel and then it's dominated that basically is in the bottom third of the of the, of the book and the the rest of the front cover is dominated by these alps oh. looming over the top of the of the hotel um yeah, it's kind of a very looming look. I think it was really clever with the cover. Kind of, I saw it hasn't changed much from the kind of first iteration. As soon as I saw that kind of looming effect of the mountains, I think it sort of summed up the book really nicely. Yeah, and there it is in 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 yellow, the sanatorium. Sarah Pierce's name below it at the top. You won't want to leave until you can't. You can't. <laughs> and then, uh, yes, a sticker by uh, up-and-coming and desperate-to-be-read Richard <laughs> Osman. Uh, Spine-tingling, a must-read, he says. And uh, I think we'd all can get... Is it a real hotel? Just before we get started, Sarah, is that a real hotel? I think, or is it I don't know. One? I think it is probably a real hotel. I am obviously wasn't involved with the cover design, but I think it's kind of an image that they've used and then repurposed. And I think something they did really, really well on the UK cover is kind of have those lights. So it's definitely been kind of altered and some snow added, but I'm pretty sure sure it's a real hotel it's it's not actually um the one that i've been kind of using as my inspiration in switzerland but yeah it looks very very close mm. to that if i was the owner of, of that if that is an actual hotel i'd be very cross that my hotel was on the cover of this because it says it says you don't want to stay here under any under any circumstance well that's that's so funny you say that actually because um a hotel I do reference, people have asked, oh, where did you get kind of inspiration? And there's a hotel actually in Cransmontana uh, in Switzerland, which has kind of been converted from an old lift station. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of really magical. They've kind of put where the kind of cable cars come in and out, they've put glass. And I was like, yeah, I've used that as my inspiration. And I was kind of thinking afterwards, do, do they really like the fact I've mentioned it? Wow. as inspiration um yeah a hotel where lots of murders happen and you won't want to leave until you can't so um yeah not sure he's too happy about that <laughs> so, so tell us about a bit before we get into the details of the book sarah tell us about Crans yeah. montana because i i've never been there i hadn't read about yeah. it until i until i read the sanatorium tell us about it and what you were doing there yeah, so it's a kind of small um, sort of mountain resort about two hours from Geneva. And you say you kind of haven't heard of it. I don't think loads of people have. And that's what's kind of quite nice about it. I lived in um, Geneva for a few years in my 20s. And um, yeah, it was only really kind of a, a Swiss friend kind of, yeah, I used to go there quite a lot. So we kind of explored the mountains at the weekends and he introduced us. And I don't think it's a place that kind of like a lot of British people go necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a small resort. It's kind of actually two towns, so Kranz and Montana, um, and they're kind of sort of linked together by a road. Um, yeah, and it kind of um, 
the book sort of came about after reading an article about sort of san- the legacy of sanatoriums in the town. But yeah, I didn't know it at the time. When I kind of lived there, I just used to explore and yeah, just loved it. It's beautiful, beautiful setting. It's kind of, as you sort of stand in the in the sort of at the very top of the resort, you've got a sort of 360 degree view of the Alps. So the Matterha- Matterhorn, Mont Blanc, it's just beautiful. Um, it gets loads of sunshine as well, actually, hence uh, the sanatoria. But yeah, beautiful place. So what was it about the article that you read in this magazine? I mean, the history of sanatoria in Switzerland wouldn't jump out necessarily to a lot <laughs> yeah, of people exactly. as the source material for a thriller. But what was it about the article that made you think, aye, aye? Yeah, no, it was, um, they had like a, an amazing photo of like the old, like an old building really. And it was kind of just talking about uh, a lot about the architecture. And yeah, it, I, they start, started saying about how a lot of the sanatoriums were either turned into hotels or kind of other clinics. And I just thought, hmm, how would that kind of be <laughs> as a guest sort of staying in somewhere that had been kind of a clinical institution? And I just kind of went on a bit of a Google sort of rabbit hole. And then when we were out on holiday, sort of explored. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that could be something really kind of creepy. Um, I love kind of books where sort of buildings or kind of settings become characters in their own right. Um, yeah, and I just thought that could be somewhere that could be super creepy. And I'd had in my mind kind of, um, I really wanted a female detective. And yeah, the idea sort of just stemmed from there. Okay, introduce us to your, uh, your detective, DS Ellen Warner. Yeah, Ellen's a British detective um, and she finds herself in Switzerland because she's going out to celebrate her estranged brother's engagement, um, Isaac. Um, yeah, but almost as soon as she arrives, you kind of sense that there's a little bit of tension between her and her brother. Um, and yeah, her brother's fiance, Law, disappears almost as soon as she gets there. Um, and it's up to Ellen to investigate. And kind of lots of things happen. You have other people going missing and avalanche and the Swiss police can't get to her, which was quite fun to write. So yeah, she's, she's on her own to, to uncover what's going on. Tell us more about um, Ellen Warner, because she's clearly got, uh, I'm going to just broad brushstroke issues. <laughs> yeah. uh, she's clearly um, been involved in a traumatic... I mean, this is literally in the first few pages, so it's, I think it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, she's been involved in in um, some upsetting, uh, an upsetting case. She's come back to work. There's a reference to the Haler case uh, very yeah. early in the first few pages. Just tell us where she is as we start this story. Yeah, when you start her, I think she's in quite a raw place. I thought it would be quite interesting to kind of have her rather than actually working. Um, she's kind of on a career break. So she's had quite a traumatic case. She's kind of dealing with the death of her mother. Um, and then as you kind of the book progresses, I do think, as you say, you see quite early on, she's also dealing with um, something in her past. Her younger brother died. Um, and we learn a little bit more about that as the book goes on. So yeah, she starts the book in quite kind of a raw place. And her sort of relationship with her brother is actually not in a great place which I think kind of, you, you feel the tension quite early on. So um, what can you tell us about the other brother, the brother who has just got in touch, the brother who has sent the invitation to Ellen out of the blue? What's going on there? Introduce us to him too. Yeah, you have Isaac. He's kind of living out in Switzerland and yeah, he's just got engaged. But um, yeah, as soon as you meet him, you kind of sort of wonder what's going on. I think Ellen, without giving too much away, Ellen has kind of sort of thoughts about him as a person. And I think when you meet him as the reader, you're obviously inside Ellen's head, you're from her point of view, and you're not sure kind of what is entirely sort of going on with him, whether he's telling the truth about certain things, whether his motivation for kind of inviting her there is entirely honest. Uh, yeah, so he's kind of, I'd say, quite an ambiguous character when we meet him first off. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. 
At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. It strikes me, um, Sarah, that this is a book that that feels very now. And my my instinct is, obviously, you will have written this book well before (laughs) we were in the throes of a pandemic and stuff like that. But there are two... There are two tropes to this book that anyone reading it right now will go, oh my goodness, that's exactly what we're in right now. The first is the isolation, obviously, yeah. which is which is a trope that you would have for any any book like this <laughs> yeah. you would have. You know, everyone is cut off. Police can't get there. There's been an avalanche. So, you know, Ellen's going to have to investigate everything herself, whether she wants to or not. That that yeah. kind of thing is, that, that that's a, you know, pretty standard. The, but the other one is masks. <laughs> now, masks have been something that we've all had to get used to um, over the yeah. last year or so. And obviously, you know, we obviously have to do, have to wear masks when we uh, go outside or go, go, go to shops, that kind of thing. But masks play a role in your book. And it's a very sinister one. And it did, as I was reading it, I did, it did remind me that, that masks, I mean, you know, masks are right now really important for us. Everyone yeah. should wear a mask. However... There is no getting away from the fact masks are also pretty sinister. Yeah, definitely. I think it was it was really interesting because, as you say, when I was writing, I had no idea this was going to happen. And then kind of masks, as I was kind of editing and we were coming up to sort of working on everything from the publishing side of things, masks were kind of suddenly in, in the public sort of imagination, obviously having to wear them. So, yeah, it was something. But I think it's kind of I, interesting. I was chatting about this with someone the other day. I said it's kind of something where we've been kind of wearing them and you've got used to them. But I still think there's kind of a bit of an uneasiness about them and I think in, in in the book it's kind of very much sort of a sense of claustrophobia that Ellen's feeling I think it kind of amplifies everything a few people have kind of commented about you could you know the sound of people's breathing and I think when we're wearing our masks today I think everything's amplified kind of when you're in a mask I think there's a sense of yeah not just claustrophobia but kind of not being perhaps able to read each other's faces in the same way um, yeah so for me it was kind of almost emphasizing everything in the book but yeah it was kind of based actually I watched an amazing video on a Swiss kind of archive website where they were showing sort of which which kind of equipment they used in in various sanatoriums and then they showed this mask but yeah I just thought it would be kind of a great motif for almost everything within the novel and something I'm always personally a bit scared by I can't say I've enjoyed that experience during the Mm. pandemic of wearing a mask. So so the sanatorium is the title of the book this building was a sanatorium but it's now um, a very high-end hotel uh, I think, and it's called Le Sommet, That's and right. everything is beautiful, and everything is thought through, and the architecture has been, you know, we discussed that at length because um, D.S. Ellen Warner's other half is an architect, and so on. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it's someone describes it as self-aware. I don't know; it might even be in the, like in in the narrative anyway. But it's mm. it, that the hotel is self-aware. Can you just? Tell us more about the place that it has become and the place that we spend most of the time uh, in the book because it's because it, it's very important that we have that kind of structure and the architecture of the building very much in our minds as we read it. Yeah, definitely. The the building is kind of, we talk a little bit about architecture in the book and someone in the, uh, we meet kind of at the very beginning in the prologue is actually the architect for the hotel. Um, and something I really wanted to 
play with is the idea that the kind of past and something I'm just fascinated with in general, when you have kind of buildings that have been repurposed, I think you can kind of see it in prisons and schools, various things, when they've kind of got a new life. But um, yeah, in the book, you kind of see very much those hints of the past. So the building is made very modern. It kind of pulls on a lot of the sort of uh, traditional things you have with sanatoriums. So this kind of huge glass windows, you have the balconies. Um, but yeah, it becomes something kind of very, very new and clinical. And the architect, architect and the developer in the book wanted to kind of include some hints of the building's past, which a few people have said I think I'd find really interesting. But a lot of people have said I don't think I'd want to stay there. But yeah, I think I kind of wanted to play again in, with the idea in that element of having the kind of uh, reminders of the building's past as kind of something is that kind of put on for sort of almost entertainment value so when we see kind of things talked about in the past is there kind of a distance you kind of get these days um, from speaking about the past that you might not do in the present if it's something that had happened recently would you really do that so yeah I wanted to include all of the kind of elements from the past but in a very sort of clinical modern way there's a hotel uh, in the, I should say loosely, in the southwest of England, uh, which which I've stayed in a few times, which used to be a hospital, oh. and I think it was a children's hospital. And you definitely, it has, it just has that feel. And when you go, when you go and stay in the rooms, or if you go for breakfast, I say it just, it just once it's <laughs> once an institution, always an institution. But I, I wonder if did you have a plan? Did you have a map on your wall? Um, <laughs> As you would, because it's important that you know where you are, because otherwise we won't know where we are. Yeah, no, definitely. I actually probably had more of a plan from the outside of the building because even though we kind of don't go very far in the book, you don't kind of go sort of miles outside the hotel because obviously they're stuck there. But yeah, the outside was really important because you have elements where, without giving too much away, kind of you have the, the spa, you have um, different people kind of running downstairs and things outside. And I just thought you've got to get that element right because it just won't work as a whole. But yeah, even on the inside, I had certain elements sort of sketched out, but it was very much kind of in my own head. And I think, to be honest, I could probably sort of walk around the hotel in my mind now I think I had quite clearly how it worked and it's probably kind of an amalgamation of sort of places I've stayed in and how I created it I think the lobby was the first kind of thing I thought of and yeah it's still very very clear in my mind so Sarah we're, we're, obviously we've talked about the yeah. hotel I want to talk I want to sort of broaden it out to where you've decided to set this book uh, in Switzerland yeah. and my instinct is Sarah I'm going to say two things here now the first thing I think you're going to agree with. The second thing I think you're going to violently <laughs> disagree with, okay? And that's only because I know that you've lived in uh, spent some time <laughs> in Switzerland. But this is, this is the, the effect that your book had on me. The first thing I think you'll agree with is it is great that this book is set in Switzerland because I think it is overdue for us to have a, a really good a, a thriller, a little bit of, I don't know what's going on, this feels a little bit, could get gory any second, being set in Switzerland. Switzerland doesn't get enough of these kind of, of, these kind of books as far as I'm concerned. Okay, now we get to the bit that you're going to violently disagree with. Switzerland, I am not a fan of Switzerland. Oh, and the reason oh I am, controversial. Right, okay, here we, here we go. Okay, Switzerland occupies that part of my mind, the same part of my mind, where you will find Monte Carlo. And Monte Carlo, before I went to Monte Carlo, yeah. I always think, oh, super glamorous, lovely place. You go there and it's a multi-story car park by the <laughs> sea. It's a dump. <laughs> the only way to be in Monte Carlo is to be in the casino where you're just losing money or be on a yacht because at, the, at least out then sea, you can yeah. look out at the sea. <laughs> exactly. Look out to sea because you don't want to be looking at Monte Carlo because it's a <laughs> dump. And it's the same with... So, when I, I used to, in a 
former life, I was a sport reporter and I would go and um, uh, I had to do countless press conferences at FIFA and UEFA who were based in uh, Geneva and Zurich. And I aboard the country. I was just, this place is so sterile. It's so cold. Yeah. There's nothing here. And why, and why have I always thought that this place was glamorous and lovely? And, you know, obviously Peter Sellers lived here. <laughs> yeah. Lewis Hamilton lives here. All these glamorous people live here. But it's a dump. Well, it's not a dump. It's just, there's nothing here. So that, that as I say, I was I was ripe for you turning Switzerland apart, <laughs> yeah. but obviously you're not going to because my, my instinct is you lived out there and you loved it. Yeah, Am I right? It's actually really interesting you say about kind of Geneva and the cities. I lived in Geneva, but I didn't really kind of love it as a city. And I kind of think I've said this before in a in a few different sort of interviews. I think Geneva itself is kind of a beautiful sort of old town. You've kind of got the cobbled streets and kind of the pretty architecture, but it's kind of a really transient place. You have a kind of lot of expat people, mm. as you say, a lot of huge companies there is a lot of concrete so yeah I don't necessarily think that's the sort of yeah not authentic Switzerland but yeah it can kind of come across as quite sterile and yeah probably like elements of London you have just yeah people moving in and out and it's you can't really get a sense of the city but I think when we spent a lot of time in the mountains and kind of smaller resorts I think you just get to see kind of local life and people sort of living yeah their everyday lives and yeah kind of got a real appreciation for the mountains a similar way I live by the sea kind of people who are just sort of soul mountain ears or soul kind of sea lovers um yeah and I think that's probably my Switzerland and I kind of agree a little bit with that sort of city element and there are parts of it that when I lived there I found probably why I moved back immensely frustrating and I think as a Brit Mm. you're kind of used to being a bit more carefree um creative and yeah living there there were rules like in the apartment we lived in we were by the train station we couldn't obviously afford one of the the big places um and yeah there were rules as to you couldn't kind of do your laundry after 10 p.m you couldn't play music after certain points in the evening and yeah, everyone's very kind of clean. So when they put their skis in the car, they'll be brushing the snow off before they put them in the car. Um, and yeah, just very different to our sort of chaotic British way of life. Did I just see the wrong side? So you're saying I needed to get into the real Switzerland rather than seeing the dreadful Geneva. Yeah, well, I don't know. It probably, yeah, it probably, that probably is definitely still the real Switzerland. I think you have, yeah, the kind of big business and obviously, you know, tax avoidance. I think that is a huge part of kind of what Switzerland is. Mm. But I suppose you you gravitate towards the, the parts that you like in a way and we just sort of used to escape every weekend to the mountains so <laughs> that's probably our Switzerland also also like 25 euros for a coffee I mean it's the, the yeah. most <laughs> yeah. the most expensive place I have ever visited a oh long way well it's crazy when we lived out there the exchange rate was actually really good so it's kind of like 2.2 so you would have everything was cheaper than the UK so I'd go to like my kind of clothing stores and it would be great and yeah recently it's just crazy prices for yeah if you want a hot chocolate or, or just the kind of a plate of chips it's ridiculous pricing <laughs> it's the first time I've seen uh, someone thank the Swiss police uh, in the uh, credits oh, that was funny. for the book and the, uh, the Swiss police procedures uh, you obviously <laughs> need to 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 get right are they very different also uh, yes. So, um, yeah, I, we were just on holiday and I kind of, I'd been going backwards and forwards on email, just trying to sort of ask questions. And we just thought it's better actually, if I kind of go and meet with the Swiss police. But yeah, again, it's kind of very, <laughs> very regulated. So we got into quite a funny discussion where I said, look, this is my fictional scenario. We're going to have the detective cut off. And yeah, the, the policeman was quite kind of, um, yeah, emphatic. Actually, there is, there is no, there's no situation where the Swiss police couldn't get to, <laughs> to you. And I said, but what about if it was a massive avalanche so um yeah in the end he kind of I conceded I'm sure they would get there but 
if if they didn't, what would happen? I had um, to try. So, I had to try and. Um, I can't. I, it was one of the uh, early books that I wrote. I needed to speak to a fire, someone from the fire brigade to get some official fire brigade procedure about what yeah. would happen in the event of a sort of a low level. Uh, nuclear issue. <laughs> <If there> is. <laughs> <laughs> How can you have yeah. low-level nuclear? Low level. Yeah. Oh anyway. Does low-level and nuclear go together? Yeah. Oh, it's just low-level. We'll just use a J class. It was like a radiation leak. It was that kind of thing. And okay. and he just said, no, no, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. I said, sure, I know. But if this situation arose, just put yourself in, what would you do? He said, well, we wouldn't. You know, and it wouldn't happen. I, said, I know. I, this is a, I, honestly, this is a novel. This isn't an event. But eventually, it's sort of, it sounds like the conversation with your Swiss police. You just have oh, to think gosh. yourself out of the actual procedure and into the world of fiction. But they got yeah. there in the end. Yeah, this was so, that is, sounds exactly the same. This was literally like a 10 minute, well, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you could get there. But if you couldn't, if the avalanche was so big <laughs> and there was a huge storm, <laughs> but yeah, I think I even put kind of in the acknowledgements actually, yeah, um, that I'm sure, yeah, I can see that you could get to any disaster <laughs> in any weather conditions. Yes, but, yes, yeah. you did. Yes, you did. You said, I'm sure that you could. It's just, <laughs> however. Um, and so all the time that you're, Plotting and planning, Sarah. What is what is your job? I mentioned this is your this is your debut. So, what is it that you have been doing until now? Yeah, no, I was actually I was staying home, kind of looking after my daughters. I'd taken maternity leave, sort of two lots of maternity leaves. I had my daughter, uh, two daughters in quite sort of close succession, um, and I'd been working um, for sort of a multinational organisation I worked for in Switzerland, actually, and then kind of came back to the UK, and I've been working sort of in a brand PR role with that. Um, and yeah, I kind of took maternity leave and started writing sort of short stories um, to start off with. It was something kind of a bit of headspace away from sort of the day to day and the nappies, um, and then I just decided to kind of give the writing a go and um yeah from the short stories I started writing the novel so yeah it'd been kind of full-time writing from the short stories and then to starting the book. When you're uh, working out the plot of um, a thriller like mm. this can you can you just obviously it has to you know a lot of careful thought has to and has to go into the structure about what we learn as the reader and when we learn it and how we learn it yeah. It's easy to say it needs careful plotting. Can you tell us what that actually means as far as the way you were writing it? Yeah, I'd, I'd come from writing kind of short stories, which is a totally kind of different medium, I think. You're kind of sort of capturing just sort of one element of something. I don't think you have that same sort of focus on plot. So when I started writing this one, I did a kind of quite a bit of research into sort of plotting in general and kind of really probably just reading sort of books thrillers that I like and kind of seeing how they did it um yeah and then I I very much sort of plotted out for me kind of having the sort of key scenes in place I didn't kind of want to overwrite which is probably a tendency of everything I've done from kind of uni days um so yeah I kind of very much had that beginning a middle and an end I didn't go to the kind of stage I know some people kind of have all the post-its on the wall and do sort of scene by scene because I think there are a lot of things that kind of came up that changed as I was writing um, but yeah I very much had that sort of beginning points and certain kind of things I wanted to hit in the book to kind of keep people turning the page I've, I'm a big thing about story I really love books that kind of yeah just keep you turning the pages I think sometimes there's a bit of sort of snobbery about story um, but for me I just like books yeah that keep you turning the page and keep you guessing so that for me was something I really wanted to have sort of quite short chapters and chapters that end on a sort of a cliffhanger and uh, uh, keep you reading yeah 
Can I mention my book, Matt? Is that, can I mention that? Oh, go on then, why not? <laughs> no, we did a yeah, whole do thing it again. Uh, on it. <laughs> anyway, so, so uh, Knife Edge, seven ninety nine. by the way, is a paperback. <laughs> uh, Outrageous. Yeah. Outrageous. Anyway, but, but that, I, the only reason I'm mentioning it is there, apart from, you know, grossly uh, promoting my own work, <laughs> is that it's just it's you mentioning short chapters. And I, abs- I totally agree. There is nothing better then, you know, late at night, you get to the end of a chapter and you just flick the next couple of pages. Oh, right. It's, oh, it's just like page and a half or, or two pages. There's nothing yeah. better than to go, oh, okay, I'll just, okay, just, boom. oh, oh just another <laughs> yeah. one. And before we know where we are, we're halfway through. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's something a few people, interestingly, again, obviously, we didn't know about the pandemic, but I think a few people kind of went into a bit of a a reading slump. I know I did at the beginning because you had that kind of news cycle constantly. So, yeah, it's kind of worked out. People are saying, I've really liked the fact that, yeah, exactly as you say, you kind of read a few pages, think, oh, actually, the the next one's only a few pages. I'll carry on. But, yeah, it's probably something that I like when I'm sort of reading books as well. So, yeah. When you were writing elements of this book there are clearly bits where Ellen is on her own and is exploring this um, spooky hotel uh, that used to be a sanatorium and uh, it's all dark and anything can happen and blah 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 are you I've I've always been intrigued by this are you writing those in the dark (laughs) do you write after dark because my instinct is that there is something that bluntly when it's dark and maybe you've just all you've got is the you know uh one lamp on and the and the sort of glow coming from your laptop screen that actually that sort of without being too muso about it 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 gets the muses going as far as as far as being able to create that sort of spooky atmosphere is that is that is that something you found or were you just writing everything in broad daylight just (laughs) yeah it's probably actually more at the end of uh, earlier end of the day i'm quite a morning person um so when i kind of get the chance obviously my daughter's at school and i have to do the school run and stuff but yeah in the mornings i kind of if it is dark i find that something sort of really atmospheric and i think probably just silence for me I kind of do like listening to a bit of music sort of as kind of to to sort of prep me but I really like writing in silence and I think I do have a lot of um yeah inspiration in a way of just being on my own and inside my own head I don't know about kind of you Simon but I do I definitely kind of see it quite visually as I'm writing so I think all of those scenes I was quite scared by so a few people say did you scare yourself and I think yeah when you're sort of immersed in that scene you are sort of fully there so probably in my mind I was in the dark (laughs) in those moments. So you studied, if I've got this right, you studied English and creative writing at probably the greatest university oh, yeah. uh, in the country, which is obviously Warwick University. Oh, okay. Oh, right. so link. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that, has, that has a link. But do, when, you, when you were immersed in this book, and if it's an intense book uh, to read, and for what you say, it's an intense book to write and, uh, and get involved. Were, were there any moments where you just flicked back to that creative writing that you did at uni and thought, wow, I never knew it was going to be like this, or this is, I don't know, maybe thought the other way around, maybe I'm very, very grateful for all the instruction that I got and I can see how it's helping. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was it was a great experience at uni, but I would I would say probably what we were doing and, and kind of what we were writing was was quite a different um process. I think, yeah, I was probably a look back at some of that early writing, I sort of cringe slightly. <laughs> it was kind of probably quite self-indulgent, I would say. Um, yeah, and less kind of focused on plot. I think 
probably the course itself was great in loads of ways and kind of developing character. And I think one of the kind of biggest tips my tutor said was just kind of, he's quite a blunt man, was just kind of go out and kind of experience life <laughs> and then you can kind of write. And it was very much the case for me. I think all of the kinds of things I was writing was, was yeah, just based on sort of quite my limited experience, I suppose, of the world and, and yeah, quite flowery language. So um, yeah, it was a great kind of tool and great instruction, but I think probably just kind of living and then lots sort of reading lots of books has been the key, I suppose. We mentioned at the beginning the um, the big thumbs up from kind of no hope uh, Richard Osman. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, saying uh, spine tingling, a must read. What else has happened to this book since you wrote it? Just take us, just mention a few of the exciting things that have been happening for you. Yeah, so I, I, so yeah, obviously Richard Osman, which which was great. So I had some really great blurbs at the beginning, which was really exciting. Um, and then yeah, quite close to publication, I had the news from my sort of US team that uh, Reese Witherspoon had chosen it to be um, part of her book wow. club for February. So I found out in the December and was kind of holding on to the news <laughs> excitedly for um, a couple of months. Um, yeah, and then after the sort of Reese news hit, it kind of debuted on the New York Times bestseller list, where it kind of sat for a few weeks and the Sunday time. So it's been, yeah, a huge whirlwind. <laughs> so goodbye to the PR world then, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very much so. It's just, oh, just the biggest thrill. I think kind of probably I was just, for me, it was just key to kind of getting the book published. I just had kind of dreamt of it. But to get that kind of endorsement was just crazy and so unexpected. <laughs> I did love, by the way, just fi- final point. Uh, I did know that you'd done some, you'd been working in P- PR and you can tell that the PR for the hotel that you're constructing, the words that are used to describe it, um, oh, yeah. clearly yeah, written by yeah. someone who knows the nonsense. The nonsense that PR yeah. come up with to try and spin a building. It was just brilliantly done. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I hope, yeah. I'm glad that came across, actually, because yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. do have kind of lots of language. And even within the book, I think some of the lines that the hotelier comes out with is very much from that sort of PR spin. So, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to write next, Sarah? Uh, yeah, I'm writing the kind of book two, which features Ellen, but she's heading back to the UK, to Devon. Um, but yeah, another kind of dark case for her. Okay, the book is The Sanatorium. It's new from Sarah Pierce. Uh, you're going to have to, you know, if Reese Witherspoon is there, you want to be alongside Reese at all times. Anyway, um, Sarah, delightful to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, thanks for having me. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, We have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.